Hi, I'm Kyle Schickner, writer, director, and activist, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and welcome to episode 113. If you've been uh, listening along this season, you know that we have been exploring the theme of acceptance in our featured interview segments, and we've been talking to guests about various aspects of acceptance, uh, like acceptance of self, body acceptance and gender, accepting others from different walks of life, for example, and looking at things we really shouldn't or can't accept without a fight, things like climate change. It's been um, a really interesting season so far. And in this episode, Wendy and I both interview Kyle Schickner, who is a documentarian, and he has a new film out called A White Man Walks Into a Barbershop. So uh, we recorded this interview back in August, and we have references to a few things that happened during that time, uh, including Wendy's interview with Beth Yeager that aired in episode 108. But um, it's a really interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing. And I think it's our first where we both spoke to our oh, yeah. featured guests. So that's it's our first tag team interview. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> And before that, I'm going to let you know about a fun release by Elvis Costello that is both old and new in some ways. And it is uh, going to be in our Why Is This Awesome segment. It's been two weeks since we've recorded anything, and, and there's a lot that happened in the last two weeks. I worked the polls on Election Day, which was I thought was really interesting. This was the first time the electronic voting book was used in the state of New Jersey and my county did everything right. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, there were some issues, I believe in some of the other polling places, my polling place was very well handled. You know, we didn't really have technical problems. I, we, there was another table that had a little bit of technical problems, but I think it was because of um, they didn't, plug we had weird power strips like half of it was switched and half of it wasn't switched so one bank of the power strip was dead and maybe they plugged their voting machine in on that because they had battery backup so after like two hours two of them went went down and i think it was because they they didn't have it powered up but they were able to follow the protocol and correct yeah, it yeah 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 and and i personally think the electronic voting book is amazing because it it keeps the line shorter. We were able to direct people if they went to the wrong place. We were able to tell them exactly where to go, you know, within the room because we had three districts in our four districts in our at our voting area, and there was some people who were in the wrong building, and we could send them to the right building, you know. And and if that happened in the old style with the paper books, you have to go to another table, and there's a big lookup thing, and it's a big pain in the ass, and it takes forever. And this we could we could figure shit out very quickly. And if you had your driver's license, we just scan a barcode on that and it just comes up. Otherwise you have to type your name in. 
And I know there were some issues up north because if you left, you know, the, it, it's all, you know, I could talk about this for like an hour, so I won't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, from what you told me, what sounded really cool was that there were a lot of safeguards and double checking and a lot of protocol to make sure that everything is secure, which is was good to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. The The chain of custody of the voting records was intense. It was very intense. And I got picked to drop all of the all of our district stuff off at the city clerk which i hadn't planned on doing but i was glad that at least our experience every voting team has somebody that's done it before so they know what they're supposed to do and uh which was good because some of this stuff i really didn't have a clue <laughs> but he was very efficient and did things ahead of time so we didn't have to count stuff right at the end to make sure our numbers matched because we were doing it as the day went along so we were i was the first one at the city to drop stuff off and our voting machine was because it prints out a um a summary report at the end of the day the electronic voting machine so we, i knew on our machine what our totals were and we and my district voted for our current governor murphy like two to one so the fact that it got very, very close up until they counted all the mail-in ballots for governor was surprising to me. Wow. So I guess my district isn't typical of the state. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I think right. it's different pockets. Of, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so what, what, what have you been up to? <laughs> I have been on a road trip. So, and I'm actually really just arriving home. I'm, I'm a little bit fried i think <laughs> so forgive my uh if i'm uh, sounding lackluster but no it's pretty good i've been out in uh, fort wayne indiana and visiting friends and um before that i was in cleveland and akron mm. i went to the devo fan gathering called devotional last weekend oh, and, cool. uh, that was a lot of fun and then the sunday after devotional the day after they have the uh, 5k devo which i ran in which was cool <laughs> I hadn't been really in a, I haven't been really been running. So I was slow as hell, but I did it and it was great. <laughs> you know, so it's really sort of set me on fire again for, for running and just more, more just cardio in, time in for general, winter. I love it. Yeah, just in time for winter. But <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intrepid about making sure I get out walking at least in oh, the cold, cool. whatever weather. I'm tempted to just go back into the gym and I haven't felt safe in the gym because of the way COVID is not paid attention to so much, uh, at mm. least in the LA fitness where I am. So I'm trying to remind myself that that might not be the best idea, but to make sure I keep finding, you know, ways to, yeah. ways to get out there. So that was good. And then, and then I was in Fort Wayne for most of last week and just left uh, Saturday and I took a slow drive home. So I, you know, I didn't want to drive even half of like, it's like 11 hours or something like that. And I just said, let me just, do it in short bits there you and go. get somewhere and do some work and hang out and relax and not drive myself crazy, literally. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's so. like, it's like if you, if you're killing yourself traveling back from the vacation, it kind of defeats the whole purpose right. of exactly. the vacation. <laughs> but anyway, I am back and I'm happy to awesome. see my cat and, uh, you know, just touch base again. So <laughs> there you go. 
So you can catch the new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday, and you can subscribe to our show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And make sure you sign up for our automatic download so you don't miss a show. Our download numbers have been growing, which is fantastic. Let's keep it going. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And if you want to be just a little bit extra for us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And when you're over on our website to check out our show notes, sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Yes. And please join us over on Patreon for extra content. Becoming a patron helps us make the show better. And if you join us at the front row seats level at just a dollar a month, you can check out our patron segment. We should be recording this. And $3 per month is our backstage pass. And um, those supporters receive a thank you package of executive swag. What? Executive swag? Executive swag. (laughs) That would be exclusive swag. (laughs) Exclusive executive swag. <laughs> we should keep that because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and, early, and early access to forthcoming events <laughs> when we have them. So, yeah, we have levels for all budgets, and we really do appreciate your support. Our most recent We Should Be Recording This post is, what did you do during the great Facebook outage? And the one coming up, we're going to discuss and debate our takes on the beauty industry, which is kind of out, it grew out of a, um, or our question at the end of an episode. So it just sort of yeah. sparked more debate and discussion. I think I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. So do that. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for uh, three random facts in the news. And my first random fact is sort of a trifecta. Uh, it's a, it's a, on this day, November 17th, which is the day the show drops. In 1558, Elizabeth began her reign as Queen of England and heralding the Elizabethan era. Then in 1869, the Suez Canal was inaugurated. And in 2019, the first known case of COVID-19 is traced to a 55-year-old man who visited a market in Wuhan, China. So happy uh, COVID anniversary day. (laughs) Really? That's a lot of... (laughs) That's <laughs> that is kind of a random November seventeenth history. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I I just looked it up and I said, okay, I have to add this to the list because <laughs> holy shit, I didn't realize that's when it all started. Right. Wow. Well, <laughs> for fact number two, the Gap Band, which is made up of Charlie, Ronnie, and Robert Wilson, was named after three streets. Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, in remembrance of the race massacre in the historic Greenwood neighborhood in the brothers' hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I did not know that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. That's that's intense. It is. You don't, I'm remembering their songs. You wouldn't get that from them, right? No, it's, I didn't realize there was like that undertone of fuck you, white people. (laughs) <laughs> you know, in there. That is that is really cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and and because I apparently am becoming known for my animal facts, <laughs> Ronan the sea lion can keep a beat. Uh, they trained. Her, well, they were rewarding her with fish treats every time she successfully nodded along to a click track. And then the researchers eventually found that Ronan could keep could beat keep better to any other better than any other non-human animal. 
this is like better than the dancing birds and and other things and they they track this by seeing how closely the head nods correspond to the beats in the music she learned eventually to dance to pop songs too and her favorite is earth wind and fire's boogie wonderland <laughs> and that's that's really the reason i put this in here because she likes she likes Earth, Wind, and Fire the best. That so. is very cool. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I, I would love to have a sea lion dancer on my gigs or something. Maybe <laughs> if she's, I mean, she's uh, open for hiring, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, there's apparently an issue with sea lions like just climbing onto boats in harbors and just chilling on people's boats <laughs> and like getting into their shit. So. That's funny. I have good. more more sea lion facts in another episode, I guess. <laughs> right. So I guess it's time now for all the news we can handle. Yes. Well, about the news, I have <laughs> not been paying much attention. <laughs> there are some basic things that I know, but I've been kind of keeping a, a little bit of a. Uh, buffer zone i think for the last few days or a week or so well you've been away yes so, yes and that means you're away you're away from the news <laughs> you're away from it's to get away away from everything it's it feels good once in a while but i did know that steve bannon had been indicted for not complying with the uh january 6th investigation yeah, subpoena, yeah. Subpoena, yes. But I did not know until just now that he has turned himself in this morning yes. on month by as of Monday, the 15th when we're recording this. So that's pretty interesting. And I don't know much about it except, you know, I'm wondering if he thinks that that's the best thing to do and that he's going to be like uh, Teflon and it's not going to matter or... I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of on. other people are Teflon. Yeah, it seems like it. But I think like Kyle Rittenhouse is Teflon, sadly. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. But um but anyway, yeah, so Steve something something's happening with Steve Bannon. I don't know if there will be consequences, but it's kind of fascinating that it even he turned himself in without a fight, I guess. So that's I'm well, curious was he? to learn more about this. <laughs> I I mean, I know he's he's like this radical asshole, but I cannot really envision him barricading himself in his house and keeping the police away. I think probably his lawyer said, turn yourself in because <laughs> we've reached that point. You don't want to, you know, the more trouble, the more trouble it is for him to comply with the subpoena, the harder it's going to be for him. Right. Because, true, true. you know, his, his buddy can't pardon him and erase all of his shit. Or maybe he's thinking whatever happens to him in 2024 when his, you know, dear leader is reelected or whatever, he'll get off scot-free like everyone else has. Uh, uh, so. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time trying to be in the mind of Steve Bannon, but no. it does make one wonder. <laughs> yeah. So Kyle Rittenhouse, I guess the, uh, it's all just the, uh, deliberation at this point they, i think so i think the closing arguments were this morning monday morning and also i had read that uh the weapons charges against him were dropped but somebody online made the made a connection that the the actual the actual weapons charge that was brought against him is for people 15 and under 
So he's 17. So I, I guess that if it, if that's the reason that it was dropped because he's oh too old to have that count against him, then, uh, then I'm not that upset about it. But from what I've been reading and seeing, it's like the judge there is very non he's, he's take it's like, he's very favorable to this kid. Right. He's and, not and being, just, he's not being impartial. That's the words I was trying to think of. Right. Right. And just as a review, Kyle Rittenhouse showed up at a black lives matter protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, I believe. And with, as a 17 year old with a weapon, and shot three people. Killing um, two. Kill, he killed two and claimed self-defense, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and he also was driven across state lines to participate in the whatever he was participating in. Right. In the right. counter-protest or the, or the protecting the Walmart or whatever, Walgreens or something. That was his excuse or some shit. Mm. I don't yeah, know why I his don't mom know. isn't being charged. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I don't, as I said, I've been out of the loop, but I did hear someone discussing this um, earlier and felt that the the prosecution was not very convincing. And one of the things that's happening, and I think maybe it could be because the judge is so, um, you know, on his side seemingly, which is really uncool, but that, the the amount of evidence that's allowed into the courtroom is very, very limited. Oh. So if they're only looking at very, very specific, narrow things without any kind of discussion that could bias anyone, I, know, I heard that they sent the jury out several times because there was a discussion that needed to happen that the judge didn't want them to be prejudiced by. If it's a situation where they're just so limiting what can be admissible, that could lead to him being Teflon, you know, mm. I don't know. I, 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 as I said, I'm talking out of my butt right now, but yeah. that's a little, that's sort of the gist of what I gathered from what I heard. Yeah. So anyway, what else is new? <laughs> back in the, uh, in Europe, <laughs> I've, I looked at the international news this week. So <laughs> COVID cases are increasing in Europe right now in many, many countries. Um, and Netherlands, for example, is going back into lockdown and Austria started locking down unvaccinated residents. And that's what's going on right now um, in Europe. And the U.S. has just opened borders again for travel from Europe. So that's... Yay. So not... yay. You know. I, I... <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <sighs> and in New Zealand... Anti-vaccine protesters in New Zealand have been told to stop using the Ka Mate Haka by the tribe who have ownership of it. The Haka, a Maori war dance made internationally famous by its performance by the All Blacks at rugby matches, is considered a cultural treasure, or Tayonga, in New Zealand. And it was performed last week by anti-vaccination and freedom protesters who marched in the, their thousands to Parliament. Uh, the tribal leaders say they have lost many ancestors to previous pandemics and see vaccine as the best protection against the virus. So this is, I guess this is a New Zealand equivalent of political people playing songs that are, uh, that the, are, the, the writers of the songs don't want their song to be associated with that candidate. Right. That but even more here. so, because those, those are really. Well, yeah. Sacred yeah, held, you know. 
performances that that's that's a shame yeah <laughs> but i yeah but i totally i see that too that's like the misappropriation of a song like someone taking a jackson brown song and playing it for a republican candidate he's like oh, yeah. yeah no i think not <laughs> yeah but yeah it is definitely uncool to appropriate somebody's haka for your bullshit so yeah wow well, it's finally infrastructure week here in the United States. <laughs> Yay! That's been like a, such a long-standing joke because Trump was calling it in infrastructure week for how long? Like the whole Six time, months. pretty much. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> but, but he never um, came up with any kind of plans to do anything. No, that's why. Yeah, it was just kind of a running late night joke and stuff. But oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so w w the infrastructure bill that was proposed by the Biden administration has finally gotten through the House and the Senate, Senate and, and the House, other way he, around. Like the ink is, he signed it and the ink is wet now, right? It's yes, <laughs> like it, it was literally signed like 15 minutes ago as of this recording. <laughs> um, you know, and it should, it's very comprehensive as far as I can see and can, can um, take care of a lot of basic infrastructure issues in the U.S., which I think is really cool. Um, it was an interesting vote in Congress because the the squad, the progressive squad, voted against it because their feeling was they wanted they, they wanted it to be out. Right. Too much was taken out. They wanted it to be attached to the other bill that has a lot more social spending. Mm. And so, you know, everyone has different takes on why they voted against it because a, a number of Republicans voted for it. Right. So, and, then, and now I know the, the Republican asshole caucus, um, I don't know what else to call them. Uh, they're, they're calling the, the several Republican congressmen that voted for the bill traitors now. Right. Right. And they're, <laughs> they're saying they're all going to get primaried and stuff. And, yeah, you know, but it's yeah. interesting to, to look at what people's motivations could be, because I feel like, my sensibility says, like, if you get something that is, could really do a lot of good, why not vote for it, even if it's not everything you wanted? But I think the squad really felt like they needed to make a stand. And at least in one case, someone thought that they knew it would pass. And so they made the statement. Yes. You know, but so that could be that could be. I, I'm I, hoping I, I that's guess, I what the, it is. They yeah, had to I, do that. Yeah, to, I see the value in that. I'm, you know, they. Yeah. They don't want to, they want, they, it was, it was definitely a statement vote. Right. Right. Cause I think, I think they would have voted for it if it was going to be a much narrower margin. Yeah. yeah. I bet you, you know, cause it's better to get something than nothing. I, and I know that's what the guys on pod save America were talking when they were talking about the bill, like last month, I guess mm -hmm. they were saying it's, you know, because I, I think a lot of the programs are only funded for a short period of time. Right. It's like, and that way people can experience these new benefits and then they will know that, the, yes, this is something we want and and influence the whatever, con you know, whatever the Congress looks like when these when these programs are going to be when the money is going to be running out they, to be refunded, to be funded further. Mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. funded again funded for longer made permanent something you know right right well that's cool and i wonder you know i'm glad that it was voted for but i wonder if the republicans voted for it because they saw it as an actual bipartisan bill that was positive or that it 
like so, like one take was that they were like owning the squad by saying like you can't really hold up a bill because enough of us will vote for it that it'll go through anyway so you don't really have leverage so okay. i don't know if that's the way to own the libs and that I think that, I, that worked out. My so. guess is it, it's the, it's they want to get reelected and their constituents wouldn't reelect them if they voted against it. That could, that's, you know, more because straightforward. And I hope uh, that I, that's, that's what I would honestly. like to think. I would like to think <laughs> they were actually like voting for the best interest of the people they're representing, which is what they're supposed to be doing. You know, <laughs> that is I'm all, I, that's, that's what I like to think anyway. Right. Let's hope. I, I, I'm forever the, Cautious optimist. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and our final thing isn't like news per se, but it's like an announcement. There's the Phil Philcon science fiction convention at the Crown Plaza in Cherry Hill is happening this coming weekend, uh, which is what the 19th? Is that Friday? <laughs> Something like that. Something and it's like Cher that. Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Cherry yeah. Hill, New Jersey, at the Crown Plaza, Cherry Hill, which is outside of Philadelphia. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be vending there. And Robin has made noise that she will be making an appearance. And yes, I think I will be making an appearance. And and we might do some recording, some wrap up of our our yeah. season of acceptance. We're do, maybe do a live Facebook live thing again, and yeah, and maybe, maybe get, get drunk again. Drunk again. <laughs> <laughs> we did that a the lot the last PhilCon, which was two years ago. Yes, at it's this been point. a while. Yeah. Um yeah, because the cause COVID hadn't really spread to the United States yet, and they were still gather people could still get together and do things in person. And uh right. and and it's still on Facebook if you want to watch it. I I I actually I tried watching our New Year's thing at, just so I could see that insane dance that I did. So. Oh, I like that dance. It was good. It was I know it was. It was weird. <laughs> it was cute. It was cute. But yeah, we're gonna be at PhilCon in various capacities. And if you happen to be there and you listen to our podcast and you see us, say hello. Actually, if you mention the podcast, I will give you a free gift in my in my booth at my table in the dealer's room. So that's the deal. Awesome. I like that <laughs> offer. <laughs> and I think that's all the news we're handling today. That's it. This podcast is sponsored by Lily's Stick of the Month Club. You have a dog. Your dog is the best dog, right? And you only want the best for them. Well, our best dog, Lily, is curating a special subscription box just for your best dog. Join Lily's Stick of the Month Club. Your dog will receive a specially selected stick pre-chewed by Lily herself. All Lily's sticks are dropped by the finest trees growing in our New Jersey backyard during the summer thunderstorms that happen almost daily. Each stick is guaranteed to be a real stick from a real tree, selected by a real dog, and put into a real box, and sent to your real address. Join Lily's Stick of the Month Club at stickofthemonth.com today. And now, back to our podcast. Why is this awesome? So welcome to Why Is This Awesome? Where one or both of us talk about something that we think is really cool and that you should know about and, ex and experience for yourselves and 
be awesome. So Robin has something for us today. Yeah, I am really psyched about Elvis Costello's new recording or new and old recording, I would say, and it's called Spanish Model. So let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> this year's model came out in 1979. It is really one of my top three records, maybe. I mean, it's like I, I wouldn't go to a desert island without it. It changed. <laughs> it really cha changed my understanding of music in a way. I can remember seeing him oh, on wow. Saturday Night Live and being like, wow, you know, and, and getting this album probably shortly thereafter. I'm not sure. I'm trying to, I, I don't know the sequence of that exactly, but I know that his, seeing his performance was just amazing. And when I got this, this album, uh, it was just pivotal because it had that kind of nervous new wave rock kind of angry energy that was just, just kind of just happening, you know, and, and it grabbed me in a way that has never stopped because he's, he's really one of my favorite performers forever, you know? <laughs> um, and this is really just sort of his earlier edgy work. And he's gone on to doing a lot of more um, singer songwriter more. Well, even then I, he already had done Allison. So that was there, but you know, he, he just expanded so much, but this is like a quintessential rock album by Elvis Costello, which I can't say enough about the original. But what he did just just recently, I mean, this has been out for maybe a couple of months now. It's it's a little bit over the initial release, but it's still very relevant to me. And he took the original tracks from the, from this year's model and added Spanish language lyrics with a with an assortment of of Spanish speaking artists. Um, so he re-recorded or or he Well the, the vocals are re-recorded. The, the, the original, the original track tracks the from original the music track. are all there. So it's like okay. the, the Elvis Costello and the attractions kind of music that was made at, at exactly that time. It's not all re-recorded, you know, so it's pretty cool that So the Spanish editions are are backup singers or singing or are they playing instruments too? There's some instrumental addition, I think, but the 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 and well, let me say that his lead vocals are taken out. So it's all the Spanish interpretations of the of the melody and lyrics and hmm. performance, you know. Okay. In so, in a couple cases they have the backing vocals so like when the chorus comes in you'll hear things like on the first track no action who, who is uh, it's it's pronou uh, pronounced performed by Nina Diaz you hear the Elvis Costello chorus coming in, you know, cause some of them it's like you, they have the Spanish lyrics, but something about the chorus would be hard to translate exactly. So that's okay. in there. Like pump it up has that kind of a vibe too. Um, and a lot of them are purely in Spanish and it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe what it's like to hear something that's so familiar and then kind of throw a whole new curve into it.
and and a lot of people <laughs> don't like it. A lot of people were sort of like, yeah, not too psyched about it on the fan groups that I follow and stuff. But I really like it. And I think for me, part of it is that I love I love that feeling of really pouring over lyrics back in the day, you know, like taking the the mm-hmm. whatever it is, the, the CD booklet or the album before that or whatever, and just looking at every every word and sort of following it and getting into it. And that's kind of like what this is like, but with the added experience of thinking about what the original lyrics were and how they've changed and how they, wow. how much they match. Okay. You know, and me trying to practice my Spanish a little because it's pretty, and my Spanish is fair. I was going to ask you because I have no Spanish. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why it's like my Spanish used to be a lot better than it is now for sure. But it it's both helped and and it's also sort of puzzling to read something in Spanish that is something that I recognize, but is going to be different, you know, just because mm-hmm. it's you need to capture the, the essence the, of something and it's not right. literal necessarily. Translating lyrics is, it's a talent, it's, it's a special thing because you have to, not only do you have to translate the, the literal meaning of the words, you have to have it fit the rhythm of the melody. Right. You know, so, so the, so the right, the, the perfect translation might not have the same scan, you know, number of syllables and everything. So you really have to be creative in, in translating in, you know, lyrics. Exactly. Like, for example, you know, quiero ir a Chelsea is perfect for, I don't want to go to Chelsea. You know, it's, it's exactly <laughs> scans very well. It's like that you don't need to really change that, which was really neat. The song, the the beat, which is the third track, is interesting because it's this is the one I think they changed the most in some ways because um, Yo Te Vi is like I saw you, but in in the English it's the beat, like just the beat they're repeating. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like sonically similar, but the lyrics are kind of quite different in that song okay. than what the meaning. Uh, is in the original, you know, and it, it's um, gosh, I don't know. I like, I really love um, Detonantes, which is li- Little Triggers. I think that just came out really beautiful. That's sung by uh, La Marisol. And what other ones are really cool? La Chica de Hoy is cool. That's this year's girl, <laughs> uh, performed by Kami. God, I don't know what to say. Like, there's just a lot that I like. Radio, radio. One of the things that's interesting, another reason that it's sort of off, it, it sends me a little off kilter, is that the I'm very used to the American release of this year's model, which okay. had a certain song order. But oh, on and this stuff version, is in a different order too, huh? Yeah, well, there's added songs because the, oh. um, the British version had a couple of extra tracks that we didn't hear until later. Huh. You know, so it's a little bit like, this is familiar and it's also weird, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, like, Night Rally was one of the songs that was on the British version of this album that wasn't on, on the U.S. So La Torba is, kind of sounds weird when it comes up. But I'm getting used to that, too. I'm getting used <laughs> to the new version of it. I'm tempted, though, to make a playlist of just the American order of the tracks, but listen to it in Spanish, but all 
<laughs> the one I'm okay. used to. So I might do that, but but I might just kind of stick with how this is because I'm learning. I'm I'm like just exploring the language and listening and just enjoy. Like some sometimes I get really brainy with this and I'm like, I have to hear every word and see how they're changing it. And then other times I'm just like, let me just let it wash over. And especially driving because I have a CD player in the car and that's been fun to just kind of hear it mm. without getting too, uh, too stuck into the detail. But I, so I'm doing both, you know. And the other thing I like about this, I really like the packaging of it because like the original album has Elvis Costello posing with a camera like an old style tripod camera. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of like this really iconic image. So that is on this album cover, but they also took all of the, all of the artists that are singing on this one. And some of them do a pose that's like similar to Elvis's. Some of them do their own thing, but they're all kind of doing a camera-esque photo thing, okay. which is just kind of neat. It looks very cool. So if you like that kind of stuff, it's fun. There's a band, this is like going back to the 70s, called uh, PFM in, in America. And they were an Italian band, Primiata Forneria Marconi, that I want to say Keith Emerson discovered and kind of brought to an American audience. Uh, they're, pro they're a prog rock band, and they had a whole bunch of albums out in Italian and the lyricist from King Crimson rewrote all of their lyrics in English. And I first heard all of the American, you know, the, the American releases. And then I got a hold of all the Italian imports and it's all the same songs, but I mean, they re-recorded everything like all of the music too, but they're all in Italian. And some of, some of the lyrics are very, very different than the American lyrics. Some of them, you know, it's like a like the, the guy, like Pete Sinfield rewrote one of them that was sort of like a party song and he made the lyrics really dark in English. Like oh, a wow. completely yeah, it was it was very cool. It was very cool. And also weird to to hear it in another language that you're so familiar with an English version. So that's I'm kinda remembering that experience <laughs> right. that you're describing. Yeah, it's funny, like and I wonder how much of the sort of wordplay wit gets translated because some of it, Elvis can be very clever. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's like a little too clever, but but <laughs> off, but usually it's super yeah. clever, you know. And I, I don't, I'm not sure that it, I don't think it's in the Spanish versions as much. So it kind of does change the. the yeah, well, the, I don't. Yeah, you, you have to be really, really fluent in a language to get that kind of wordplay right right but so you'd have to you should it. ask some spanish first language people mm -hmm. like certain passages that you know that he does that in english is saying ask if it's similar in spanish yeah if he's yeah. doing that did he translate it himself or did he have somebody else do it i don't i don't believe he did the translation no it's um i i don't have that in front of me who okay. the translator is but i can um you know it's all in the liner notes there's like so much it's very detailed in, in terms of who's performing everything from the original musicians to um, to the singers to, mm. you know, as you said, like the translations and that sort of thing. Cool. So it is very fun. And I I got it. It, it was available at Target. I think that was <laughs> like its original 
release was like it was really like touted at there, which was kind of a weird, odd place to release it. I think, but it's in CD and vinyl, and um, you know, playlists are everywhere too. So Spotify and everything. Oh, it's cool. kind of cool to have a physical object of of music because I, you know, mostly mm-hmm. don't have that anymore. Yeah. So it's kind of neat to look well, at the CD. Well, we're you know old school musician people that. <laughs> And also, if you if you own the CD, they can't arbitrarily decide to remove it off of your collection. So that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly I'm mostly digital these days for sure. But but I think when something's really special to me, mm-hmm. like I really do like to kind of sit with it and have it be a, a thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. So yeah. Thank you for kind sharing. It's fun. <laughs> This is Christina Romulus, founder of Politicalm, here to remind you to keep calm. It's just politics and bringing calm in the midst of chaos. You are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Well, we are here with Kyle Schickner. We're very happy to have him on The Leftscape. Kyle Schickner is a filmmaker and the driving force behind Fence Sitter Films, a film company that focuses on telling stories about people of color, women, and the BLGTQ communities. And I like how you put the B first. Always put the B first. <laughs> Kyle's latest film is A White Man Walks Into a Barbershop. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, so there's really a lot of stuff to talk about in this, in this uh, documentary. So... A white man walks into the barbershop, a barbershop. You take a journey across the U.S. and you talk to people about race. Would you give us just a quick overview? Like what are a few of the cities you went to? Where did you learn the most? Anything you want to say about the overall journey? Okay, yeah. Um, it took about, uh, I don't know, about a couple of weeks. We drove around the country in a van, me and six other people. We went everywhere from Washington, D.C. to Minneapolis to Mississippi, Alabama, Los Angeles, Reno, and just just everywhere. And where did I learn the most? I don't know. I think I learned a lot everywhere. I mean, it was interesting how I went there with certain uh, preconceived notions of what how people felt, what people thought in different areas, and almost every time I was I was incorrect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So. 
earlier in the film, um, or pretty early on in the film, rather, you mentioned that people used to talk about race like more freely in general, but they don't really anymore. And I sometimes feel that loss actually myself. I like that sort of casual, casual conversation. Did we lose something positive or could it be that we gained more awareness about how to proceed with caution? Like, how do you think about that change in our, how we talk? Yeah, I don't think we, I don't think anything positive has come from it. I think that the actual topic of race itself, not racism, the topic of race has become taboo. Um, like I said in the film, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm old, so I, I watched shows like All in the Family and Good Times and the Jeffersons and, and music was, you know, often political. This is before hip hop and then for early hip hop, I want to be clear because sort of hip hop has gone along the ways of sort of really not addressing, at least mainstream hip hop, addressing race uh, head on. And I think that by it becoming taboo and people not talking about it, what's happened is we don't know what, and I mean we universally, not just white people, not just Kyle, just sort of everyone. No one knows what the correct way to say something is, what's the term that's the most used right now. And they also, and so they don't, so instead of saying something and worrying about saying something wrong, they don't say anything. And so we don't, we, there's no learning. There's no figuring out like, oh, okay. So, you know, take my, my grandmother, for instance, oh, colored isn't the correct term anymore. She may be using it because that's what she learned. But if she never uses a term, she might not realize that we've moved on five or six words since then. So because there's no discussion, there's no learning. Like I can't, I don't know. I'm a white guy who grew up, you know, in, in a very liberal town. I don't know everything. And, and if I don't ever, if I'm too afraid to risk saying something wrong in front of the wrong people, then I'm never going to learn. Oh, okay. That's, that's wrong. And then, and then we'll get into the whole cancel culture thing, which I think is a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a poison in that that contributes to this whole, well, I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm not going to say anything. And I say in my movie that look, when, you know, getting questions wrong. You know, if a, if a seventh grader gets a question wrong in in school, he's not getting the question wrong because he's a dick. He just hasn't learned it yet. You know, so now if he gets, if I say something inappropriate or offensive by mistake, and Robin or Wendy, you say, "Oh, that's I'm sorry, that's," and then I continue to do it. Well, then then it's a whole different vibe. Um, so I think we've lost a lot by not being able to talk about it. We got to figure out a way to get back to. Being able to talk about it, understanding context and understanding where people are coming from, or at least at least in the beginning, giving a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. And I understand white people haven't really earned the, the the benefit of the doubt thing very much. But if we don't figure that out, it's it's you know we're we're doomed. How's yeah. that for how's that for uplifting? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually I think it's right on. Honestly, I have been a critic of cancel culture, you know, from the left perspective, like we hear a lot of that on, you know, Fox News complains about it and that sort of thing. And it's from a whole other angle. And I feel sort of, and I do feel like a little bit stifled about like, well, can I say this because I'll get canceled or I'll sound like a right winger or something like that. But I do believe that people need to have the, the right to speak and the right to be wrong and the right to learn, you know, so it's, that's right. something that I've thought about a lot too. And one of the things that really struck me in the, in your film is that it is very plain spoken, you know, and I feel like maybe that grows out of that, just wanting to just get to the nitty gritty and talk to each other. You know, you express concepts of racism and talk about your own discomfort around it, 
but you don't really get a lot of buzzwords. Like there's that sort of academic political language that people use to be the most correct or the most up-to-date or something like that. Except maybe you, you do talk about white savior a lot. With That's one part. That right. is one sort of quote-unquote buzzword. But, but I was wondering, was that intentional? Like the idea of just bringing the language down to basic talking well, to one another? Yeah. First of all, I'm not very smart. So those are the best <laughs> words I, I could come up with. <laughs> Um, but seriously, yeah, I mean, it certainly was, it, it really, I really wanted to sort of just boil it down to almost what our emotions, you know, it's because, because academia and, and all of that sort of extra, extra woke thought is great in theory, but so certain, you know, you start talking to even me, who I, who I like to think I'm, I'm, I'm sort of up on things. I start tuning out when I, when it starts getting too ethereal and too, you know, it just, just, just theory discussions as opposed to look, you know, this is who I am, you know, and then I feel this way or this person is that. And so, yeah, it was certainly a, um, a conscious effort. I mean, and also the more I am me, the more I'm honest, and the more I am sort of, this is sort of how I talk regularly, the more people can, can relate. I think that's my whole goal is for, for white people to watch this and be able to say, Oh, wait, I, I feel that way. I haven't ever wanted to say it. I don't want to, you know, I never had wanted to admit it, but yes, I'm, I, I also feel that way. And sort of, if I, if I start making it all, all about like theory, then, then I think you lose a lot of people, the people I'm I, trying to reach. Let me just interject here. Cause my, my husband was in and out of the room while I was watching it last night and you definitely struck a chord with him a lot. Cause he would, he would be he would be speaking to you on <laughs> on the television, agreeing with you and a lot of the stuff you were saying. So, oh, good. And, and he's also a white guy from New Jersey, so you definitely have that demographic <laughs> down. That's, that's my that's my sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> and you really answered my next question because I wanted to know like why you chose white liberals specifically as your primary audience, and it sounds like you really have a lot to say. Yeah, I want to start the conversation there. That's really who the the movie is is for. When I say for, I think everyone will enjoy it, but I think I'm really speaking to white liberals. And that sort of came that did that wasn't the, the initial thought process with the movie. It started with me uh, right after uh, President Obama was first elected um, early on. And there was that whole swell. That's when you first started seeing the overt racist country rearing its ugly head when people started freaking out. And that was fascinating to me. And then I was at a dinner table. I was at dinner with about eight or nine people. And there was a, a African-American couple. They were all really good friends. And we were talking and having a good time. And I, at one point, referenced the fact that my friend is black. I didn't make a joke about him being black. It had nothing. It was just, I forget what it was, but I just, it was innocuous. And they continued on. And all of the other white friends at the table, all kind of like, all like, chill like froze and like looked around like can he say that is that okay or you know and i i thought to myself what the hell is going on so it started out if i'm going to be honest sort of me going around the country showing how great i am and how <laughs> how wonderful i am with black people and and as it it and it took a while to i mean obviously i first thought of this when obama was his first term and now we've had another obama term and a disastrous term with someone, um, uh, <laughs> he should, should not be named. <laughs> um, so it's been a while, and it took and it and it took some uh, it took some uh, massaging, and and I, I, I you know it's my first documentary, and, and so I just I was lost for a little where to go with it, 
And then the George Floyd murder happened and the Black Lives Matter revolution occurred. And then I was at us and I was, we're all shut locked down. So I was doing a lot of editing and then it sort of clicked. Cause I sort of, I watched a lot of white people more than ever get involved in a movement that up until last year, when Trayvon, when Trayvon was murdered, nobody cared about. And I thought, wow. So, and, and I was excited and I was thrilled. And I also felt a lot of it was performative. A lot of it was for people to be able to put on their Instagram and their Facebook, look at me, look how great I am, I support black folk. And then I started looking at myself and there's there's an instance that happens in the movie that also in Minneapolis, coincidentally, where this sort of guy calls me out on my shit. And it, those two things made me realize like, okay, you know, it's it's not about me being woke, it's not about me being a white savior, it is about me and all white people, all white liberals who have to sort of say, okay, you know, it's not enough just to know, like, look, you could look at the murder of George Floyd and say, well, that's awful. That doesn't make you not racist. That makes you uh, human. So there has to be, it has to go deeper than that. And white, and, that, and I don't think white people, white liberals want to go deeper than that. So they say, yes, I'm not racist. And, and, and I check all the boxes of the easy things, but we've got to look deeper because until we look deeper at ourselves, at myself, and really the movie is really about looking at myself and then calling out other white liberals to do the same is that we, we need to do better. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that answered your question because I meandered for a while, but that, that was certainly, and it's interesting because I don't think, I don't think conservatives will hate this movie. I've, well, I've screened it with a bunch of people who, and they have no issue with it. I, and the people who are having the issue with it, is interestingly, or and I, or maybe it won't shock you. White liberals hate this film. They don't want it shown. I'm getting in zero film festivals that are white. I'm getting in all the African American film festivals or international film festivals, and that is and I and, and I was so shocked because I really did think the George Floyd Black Lives Matter summer changed white people to saying, okay, I want to do better. And it turns out I was completely wrong. It's in, in, in on some level, I think it's like. We're, we're all doubling down as white liberals of like, okay, I don't want to get anywhere near this because I don't want to be considered the same as the man who murdered George Floyd, that kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> That's, I hadn't considered that as part of the equation to, as what would separate one from, or why someone would separate themselves from that movement. But yeah, what do you think, Wendy? Um, you were, well, there were, to say okay. something. Yeah, I well, this is you have to also understand that yesterday morning I interviewed my sister-in-law about other things, and we ended up talking about very similar subjects. And she's coming from it from a, a systemic issue, from systemic issues, and not an individual issue. And this is jumping way ahead. I had a way different question, but um. <laughs> Which I'll get to. I'll get to it. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. But I think I did find a couple of moments in the film where I wanted to push back and argue with you from just the other stuff we had. I'd just been talking about a few hours before. Uh, it's just because I'm coming from a different perspective at it. And and it was making, and some of the stuff you were saying was making me uncomfortable. And I had to sit with myself and unpack why. And I think there are a lot of white liberals who don't want to go through that exercise. You know, maybe they think they're woke enough. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea, you know, and, and they don't want to look farther, but it's, 
the the issue is so so huge right now. <laughs> so so I was talking about system, you know, the systemic stuff, you know, like redlining and 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 you know all the things that are actually st- you know like stuff. Uh, John Oliver was talking about two weeks ago yeah. on his show, which kind of blew my mind. And so my question for you, which I was going to ask later, and I'll, you know, the easy one was earlier, but we'll do the easy one later. So what do you think regular white people like you and I can do to start reforming or dismantling the systems that keep repressing people of color? Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) I think that 98% of white people don't have, or feel they don't have the power to do anything. In a, in a global, the red lighting and, you know, uh, reparations mm-hmm. and all, all, all the stuff that needs to happen. Most, most white people, well, I, you know, I drive a cab or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I just, I, I have no way to fix that. And I think if you look at the journey, if you look where you got to get, it's going to be really easy to be like, well, I, what's the point? And so what I, what I think we each have to do as individuals is just the small stuff. And I talk about being quiet when I'm around white people and someone uses the N-word. And and often in my life, I have not said, hey, don't do that. And even that's, even any, and, 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 and every white person in the world who's just around white people has been in, in places where the, the people drop it and they think everyone's on the board with it. And so, so even if, if you just sort of say, hey, that, I'm not cool with that, it just, it's a small little thing. It seems, it, it, it makes me uncomfortable, but it seems insignificant but if every if every white person who doesn't want who doesn't agree with people using that word just says it every time it's said then the people who think it's okay to say it start realizing oh wait a minute maybe i am not completely in the minority majority here maybe i and 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 slowly i think those things uh, matter and you know i think that when you were saying you were watching it, it made there's parts that made you uncomfortable. And we I've talked to a lot of white liberals who have said the same thing. And to their to their credit, said, This is why this movie has to I need to, you know, we're having a screening in my hometown in New Jersey because the principal watched it and said, I couldn't I was horrified watching this, but that's why it has to go out. White people, especially white men, are not used to being made feel uncomfortable. Our whole universe is to, is made to make us feel good. So anytime we're getting that kind of feeling, it's click, you know, let me put on something. And so, so, so the discomfort is part of the discomfort to me is sort of feeling it's like when you go to the dentist and they try to see if there's something wrong with your tooth, they blow air on it. What I'm basically doing is I'm blowing air on your privilege. And if you kind of do that, <laughs> if you kind of jump, well, then maybe you gotta, we got to go in and, and, and do a little drilling or you have to go in and do a little drilling. And it's not easy. It's hard um, yeah. because it also makes you feel like shit. It changes your whole view of who you think you are a lot of times. And it certainly did for me. And like, oh, OK. So, uh, so you know, I so it's all the little things and then all the big things and all the voting and, the you know, and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't understand something, people don't understand reparations. People don't understand redlining. People don't understand um, how the um, income gap is so crazily off, not because black people are lazy or they don't want to work or even where they live. It's because of what's been happening for uh, 400 years. And especially since, you know, since slavery ended and, and, and how they was enacted. And we, we need to sort of figure and talk about that. Like there's this whole thing with, you know, critical, you know, race theory 
And all that really is is just white people are just being honest. It does. It's just just look at the uh, just be honest about how things are. I you know, and there's all this you know. Well, oh, I didn't do I you know I didn't have I didn't own any slaves or I was like that doesn't fucking matter. Can I curse on this? I've already done it. Yes, but, you can fucking curse on this. Fine, that doesn't fucking matter <laughs> because you know. But but you just acknowledge like, look, okay, I was I was you were I, I won the I won the lottery in terms of privilege in this world okay and and to to not acknowledge it and understand it is 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 now doubling down on being on making things worse you know i can't help how i was born and where i was raised and who my parents were but i can help do what i can to fix it moving forward both through how i raise my kids and also just sort of how i go about the world making films that only tell stories about what robin talked about what my films did it's a small little thing you know, but it's it's what we each can do. I'm not someone that's going to, you know, live on Wall Street for, for for two months and not shower. It's just not who I am. I'm selfish. So I'll do what I can. I'll make a movie and hopefully five or six people will see it and it'll, it'll, it'll change it a little bit. <laughs> so again, there, there's my answer yeah. for that. Okay. That was, that was a good answer. All right. Um, okay. Here's my easy question. My easy question. Oh, um, this will be the hard one, I bet. Yeah, maybe. I wanted to know what made you uncomfortable enough to call yourself out for code switching in the film. And and do you think that's something that white people should not do? See, now here's where my age comes into play. Code switching. Give me that again. What is that okay. again? That was I when did- you were, you're talking, you're, you're using, um, I guess the older, the older phrase for that Ebonics? is jive. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) The colloquial slang of the people you're talking to. So (laughs) what made me call myself out on it? Yeah. Um, Two things. My family would always say, why do you do that? Like, we'll be somewhere. And they'll be like, Stop talking like, and it's not just with black folk. I mean, and 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 so and and sort of what if people haven't seen the movie, which would mean every one of the viewers, listeners. (laughs) Um I talk about sort of how when I'm around, oftentimes when I'm around African-Americans, I end up started talking what I think black people talk like, or more, more, more poignantly, what I think cool black people talk like, how I want to talk like. And so, you know, all of a sudden I'll start using slang and, you know, what's, you know, and, and, and that's not how I normally talk. And so I would do it and my family would be like, oh, you're, you know, Kyle, you're embarrassing me. Stop doing, don't do that. Come so that was a part of it. And then as I'm editing it, I'm hearing myself. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I thought, okay, this is a funny little thing where I can sort of, and we have a little jive talk counter where I count every time I start, I start all of a sudden talking very differently than I have the rest of the movie. And um, I think a lot of white people do it. And it's funny because we don't put it, I talked to, I brought that up a lot to uh, in, in my interviews. I didn't use it a lot. No one seemed to care, at least openly telling me they didn't care. They, but their their whole thing was just sort of be real, like you know, it just be yourself. No one, we don't have to put on airs. We don't and putting on airs, you know, which is interesting because you often think of talking differently. You know, but you just be yourself, and that's fine. And sometimes I do sort of when I'm more relaxed, talk differently. Um, but it's not just with black people. If I'm in an Indian restaurant, I'm all of a sudden I have a we, you know, it's just it's awful. And, and, and it's just it's also trying to mirror and trying to make people feel comfortable. Yeah. But I don't need to do it. So my, no, my, I, my go, ahead. go ahead. No, I, I, all right. Let me just, it's, I think that the mirroring is not a bad thing, you no, know, right. it, it I, helps, it helps you be understood by your audience. 
Because if if you used, you know, I, I was talking to Robin before you came on the show, and I'm going, oh well, if I'm going to talk proper with these other people, they're not going to they're not going to shut down, and you know, it's it it's. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was in Ireland for a week, and by the end of the week, I was talking like this. My my voice was going up and down, and I was I picked up the patois like you know you just do it. And I wasn't I was a little self conscious, but not a whole lot because it was easier for them to understand me, and and it was just making communication easier. And I just didn't want you to beat yourself up about it. Is all well. My question about it would be, yeah. My question would be, is it is it natural? Is it? Are you thinking like, let me talk like the people, or are, or is it just come out naturally? Because if it's just, I don't know. Like, no, I don't know. What, I'm doing I, didn't, it. I didn't hear it. I wouldn't have heard it unless you were calling exactly, it, which I thought was interesting. Uh, no, I, I certainly don't do it on purpose. I don't go in there saying, okay, lots of stuff, saying y'all and you know, sup. I don't say that before I go in there. It just sort of happens naturally. And and you're right. Part of it is mirroring and feeling better. But the other part of it is, and again, of all the of all the atrocities and crimes white people commit daily, that's really low on the list. But it but it, it was also look. I think the movie. I, I hope the movie's funny. It's entertaining, and that's a part of a jokey because we okay. do we do deal with some really serious stuff. And that's a nice little light way of really sort of poking fun at myself. Again, if I can fix all the other stuff that I do, and that's the one thing I can't, I think I'll, I'll be happy with myself. I'll be okay. Yeah. I And, and I also got the, the term code switching from um, watching Key and Peele. Because oh, okay. black people have to do this yes. all the time when they're, when they're interacting with white people. So if white people do it too, I don't see that, that's a problem. It's kind of us trying to meet in the middle somewhere. And it's that's to me, it also sounds anyway. better. Like I love hip hop. I lo like to me, like there's, I love like there's nothing when Prince gets really kind of cool and like you're down. Like oh, I wish I, I wish that came out of my mouth naturally. I wish I could, but you know, I, I'm just corny, and there's no way around it. So part of it is like oh, that would be really cool if I could, you know, if I was not raised with a very limited vocabulary. <laughs> one of the uh well our overarching theme for this season is acceptance mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how you think that plays a role in what you're doing is the main thing for white people to accept the racism that they were that they have and are born into, or is there something else? Is it accepting each other? Is there, how would you think of acceptance in this? Uh, I think it's subject? accepting who we are and accepting that we are not perfect. I think that's a big part of it. It has to be about, look, if, if, now I'm at a loss for words, Robin. I don't think that's ever happened. I think that we have to, I don't want to, look, I don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm racist and accept that and then just continue on. That's that's not okay. But in order to grow, we have to accept, okay, I don't do this great, I don't do that great. And sort of accept who we are. Don't beat ourselves up. You know, this the whole beating, you know, this whole sort of white guilt and, and, and there's a small fraction of where sort of like uh, critical race theory is sort of being hijacked into by Fox News by saying, we're trying to teach all white kids when they're two that they're awful and they're always racist. That, that doesn't help anything. It doesn't help to sort of like beat myself up because I'm white. 
I don't want to, I don't have to praise myself because I'm white either, but just the beating ourselves up because no one wants to do that. No one wants to self-flagellate forever because it's not good. So what we do is then we shut it down and we say we're not bad. So we have to accept, okay, I'm not perfect. I would like to be closer to perfect or at least closer to a better, I want to be a better human being than I was yesterday. So for instance, when I talk about being nervous when I'm, I'm alone at night and a bunch of young black kids are coming my way. It's okay to, it's, it's, it's okay. I have to accept that I have that in order to figure out and then look at, okay, well, why do I have that? Is it my fault? You know, how can I fix that? And, you know, is it, and you have to accept who you are at that moment at the same time by saying, I want to be a better person, but white liberals don't want to accept that they are not perfect. And I talk about how we all have these woke offs about who's the best white liberal out there. And we all just try to get better. And that's what a lot of what cancel culture is. It's like, oh, okay, this person. So I'm gonna let let let's let's put you know let's let's put them on blast and like humiliate them for who they are because then I, everyone on my Twitter feed can see how uh, how how much of an ally I am. And I don't know if that's an ally at all. I think again, that's very performative about like, well, this is who I am, and I'm gonna show you. So please like me and know that I'm better than all those other white people, kind of thing. Hmm. Do you have a question, Wendy? Ah, uh, maybe. I, I don't know if we've actually, we kind of mentioned it um, earlier, but what's your perspective on reparations? Uh, I feel 100% that something has to be done. And I am certainly not intelligent enough to be the person to know what has to be done. I, you know, I, 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 I changes my, in my mind, it changes every day. I certainly think a ton, a shitload of money needs to be poured into African-American communities, education, health, all of that, just so much more, like all of it has to, be, and it has to be sort of put into these communities and, and the same, like, like I live in a very, very, very uh, wealthy community that has a great school system. And it's insane because I also had a partner. Actually, you remember her, Robin, um, Sahira. She used to teach in, in, a, in a very uh, disadvantaged uh, school system. And now with kids looking at what my kids have as opposed to what these kids have, it's horrifying. And I'm not, I'm not breaking any news here. But so that so a ton of money has to get fil filtered into, into the black communities and, and black programs to sort of trying to even the playing field a little more. Um, free college. All that shit should happen. Should pe should people get money? Okay, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know if that solves the bigger problem. I think I, why not? But so does should everyone get a check? Yeah, like I said, I, I have zero problem with that. If if my taxes have to get raised, if, if if the powers that be feel that's the that's the one of the ways that will get us to where we are. But we cannot look at this country. I cannot look at my privilege and my whiteness. And I and and again, privilege has become such an ugly word. It's it's in the same way that like I'm selfish. People think being selfish, I'm selfish. It doesn't have to be ugly. I'm privileged. I just am. It's not necessarily ugly. It is just a fact. It isn't, doesn't have to be good or bad. But the work and the building of America by people of color has not been equally enjoyed by everyone who helped build this country. It has been enjoyed by white people a lot. And so it needs to be balanced out. And however some people think they need to do that, I'm on board. Okay. Nice. You know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I sort of punted on that, if I didn't really answer it. That's, it kind of did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. You did. All right. So I think what we watched is a rough cut of your film. Is that? No, correct? I hope that's not how you feel. 
<laughs> I don't think said, that's what, what's oh, that? okay. It Meridian said like cut? the Meridian Cut or something like that. I wasn't that sure. was just that. I mean, there's there's the, yeah, that was the we had the world premiere down in Meridian, Mississippi. Ah, so okay. and um, that was the most recent, and that was the one. So they knew where to go and and, and get it. Got um, it. Okay, we had that okay. a couple. So, so where can people see? At the mo, so it'll be released on streaming services. Well, actually, it's at the Hip Hop Film Festival on Friday, but it's just virtual. Oh, cool! So you can go to Hip Hop Film Festival, and it's Friday night at ten o'clock. It's twenty five dollars. That seems like a lot to watch a movie that's not starring Thor. <laughs> well, um, this will this will be uh, posted. I'm not sure when this will be posted. It's perfect because yeah, yeah, be later. Because you know, again, so um, but we're gonna have it on streaming services in the fall. Um, I'm not exactly sure which ones um, right now. It's interesting in getting distribution for this. We kept hearing the same thing of like, oh, these a lot of the, you know like the bigger streaming services, and I won't name them because I don't want to get sued. But you know, you know, they're often people watch it and chill. You hear <laughs> we get things like, oh, we really like this film. However, we can't bring it because he, the, the the discussions are too risky. And they're like, he's not Bill Maher, he's not Michael Moore, and we're not we're not putting our our company on the line for a guy who all who who very possibly can get people upset and canceled because of certain things I say. I had one distribution company say we love the movie, but people are really sort of exhausted about the Black Lives Matter thing, and I don't think anyone really wants to watch it, which infuriated me to no end. Yeah, <laughs> like how exhausted are black people? Right. <laughs> However exhausted you are, add a couple of zeros beyond that. Exactly. Like. Um, <laughs> and of course, there was a white guy who said that. Of course. Um, so it'll be it'll it'll be on iTunes, uh, Google Play, um, a few of the smaller streaming services. Uh, right now, we're going we're doing live screenings, unless of course this, these idiot unvaxxed people and. I'm sorry if you're not vaccinated. But we're vaccinated. We're vaccinated, trust these me. These idiots don't fuck everything up, everything, and then and and then we all have to go back and so we're having live screenings around the country. Like I said, we had one in we had the world premiere in Meridian, Mississippi, which I'm sure no one's ever heard of. It was a I've little town. It, I've heard of it because I'm a fan of Steve Forbert, and that's where he's from. Oh, it's, that's funny. <laughs> so it's just random. It's 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 a small town where what we stopped actually for lunch. And we just walked into a barbershop and we end up spending four days there because the, the, the this this barbershop, Jenkins Barbershop, they were uh, um, uh, Kevin Lewis Sr. Jr. was unbelievably um, supportive and amazing. And we just and I remember sa- being there and saying, look, when we have the premiere, I'm coming here. and We're doing it in Meridian. Awesome. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then when we had got it done, I said to my producers, look, we need to have a premiere Meridian. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, well, let's do New York or L.A. or maybe even Minneapolis because of George Floyd and also something big in the movie happens in Minneapolis. And I said, no, no, we have, and they were so pissed off. And I'm like, look, this community has been promised things and abandoned for decades. I am not going to get in that long line of people who have, you know, who've just, who who've promised something and disappointed them. And again, not that they were all waiting for Kyle to call with their film, but <laughs> when I did call and say, Hey, you know, they were thrilled and excited and it was, it was a wonderful night. So we're going to do a lot of those. We're doing a screening in the, at the end of September in, in New Jersey, and we're going to try to do Minneapolis. And we're going to try to at least hit all the cities we visited and get the people that were there at least to, to yeah. be a part of it. Um, so they could see themselves on the, in their, they could see themselves in their show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're doing a lot of screenings uh, at like uh, for film districts that they're see, which is really kind of cool 
that film uh, film districts are sort of taking it and saying, oh, we need to show this. There's a a, 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 a charter school in um, D.C. that had all of their uh, their teachers and administrators watch it because they sort of need had to want to want them to have to these conversations with each other. So that's been really cool. So um, it's been it's it's with all of my films, it's been an uphill battle in terms of getting people to watch it because people not because it necessarily sucks. But that's not why people don't want to watch it because. You know, again, all my life I did a movie about a black, gay black man who who gets lynched, mm. and 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 it's a murder mystery, and I was told the hero can be black or he can be white, but he can't be black and gay. He was, a, you know, and I said, well, that's the whole point. I did a movie with with, with called Steam that Ruby D was a, a large part of, and it was a three three different stories. And I said, oh, uh, producers, we'll give you a lot of money, but you got to get rid of the old black woman storyline. No one wants to see a romance between an older black woman. When I did Rose by Any Other Name, my first film in the 90s about a lesbian that falls in love and identifies as bi, people were like, what the hell is bisexuality? Nobody wants, no one, that's not real. No one's, So I've been hearing this my whole life. <laughs> this is the kind of movie that sort of we have to, and what we're doing now is we're sort of putting like, you know, this the movie white people don't want you to see. The poster has Caucasian warning, uncomfortable. So we're really sort of, <laughs> you know, like the parental guidance on, on CDs. We're really trying to sort of guilt white people just like having to go see this. And that's, you know, at, at the least, you know, and then maybe they'll then lie and say, no, I'm woke enough to understand this, but at least they'll <laughs> hopefully learn something in it. Well, thank you so much. I really, uh, I hope you keep us posted about what, yes, when we can see it, when it's coming around New Jersey for sure. And, I uh, will. And I just want to know. say, Robin, you were, you were at the birth of Fensitter Productions at the time. Yes. Because do, do, do you mind if I mention this? Go for it. Uh, the first, uh, I, first, we first started off as an off off Broadway uh, production company, a play, you know, producing plays in Manhattan at the Stanford Meisner Theater. And my first show was four one act plays. Very, very, very heavy handed feminist crap. Like I look at it, I'm like, oh my God. Um, but it was very like so, and and in between the in between the 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 play the 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 acts, Robin came out and performed one or two songs each while we were well. So I feel so because you're performing while there's a bunch of people in the background shifting all the like stuff. <laughs> it but was interesting. I was the distraction, right? No, I think you I read some poems and did some. I yeah, no, it, I, yeah, I think it was. I thought it was you, spoken I thought word you, also, or maybe it was I, music. I think you were playing guitar also. Okay. Um, I have a video of it somewhere. And oh, it's no. Really no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you were there from day one. So uh, I appreciate always your support. Absolutely. Likewise. Awesome. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to check any other stuff, FenceterFilmsStudio.com. And, you know, follow me on whatever. I'm supposed to know all this. <laughs> They'll see know. our show yeah, notes. We'll let them know. <laughs> I'm so old, Robin. I have, you have no idea. I have to my daughter. I'm like, what do I do here? How do I how do I send a message to Spike Lee? Stop calling do? yourself old. Look I'm old. Me. Yeah, I'm older than you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that's true. But I feel old. Look at you. You're you can tell you've got a spring. Yeah, in your step. But I'm older than you, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but even your okay. microphone, you know what you're doing. I, you, you got technology <laughs> down, I can say. Uh, How did this become the old Olympics? <laughs> I don't know. I I'm the engineer. I'm cutting this also. <laughs> don't oh, worry right. about it. <laughs> All right. You got questions? We got answers. So what's today's question? Today's question comes from Frank Obermeyer, and he says, 
What do you do to relax after a stressful week of work? Ah, you go first, because I'm trying to remember my last stressful week of work. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing for me because I, I don't necessarily differentiate weeks from weekends entirely because I, you know, I, I entrepreneurial, I'm working from home a lot and I often have things to do. Like I'm trying to get better at segregating time and being like, I am not working at all today. I'm just mm -hmm. going to take a full day off, you know, but oftentimes things bleed into like, I need to work on something Saturday or whatever. So I don't necessarily have that complete separation, but just to de-stress in general, I've been listening to a lot more music than I used to. I, I sort of, it sounds weird because I'm so into music, but I got away from it for a long time where I just had a lot of silence around me. And that is partly good and it's partly dysfunctional at a certain point where it's too, it's too much. So my Yacht Rock stuff is a big, a big way that I de-stress. De Actually, there's a show called Shelter at Sea. <laughs> okay. That comes on Yacht Rock Miami on Saturday nights. And that is actually, that's probably my most like real, like, ah, I'm going to do something completely relaxing. Like that's, that's the thing that I, I listen to mm. sometimes. And other than that, just making time and space for the things that I like to do you know i mean mm -hmm. ex definitely exercise is always a de-stress and i try to get more of that on weekends you know that's probably that sounds boring but that's uh, <laughs> you know that's kind of what it is i think yeah yeah uh for me i it's weird i you know i work very sporadically now i am i guess semi-retired I could be completely retired if I just shut up about pretending to work or, or try to have a job, a, a, a company and things like that. It's been a very long time since I've had to put a full week in anywhere. If I get stressed out or something, taking a, a soak in the tub is, is something that is, I find very relaxing. I have a, I have a bathtub that it's big enough for me to lay down in, you know, and just float. It's, a, it's, it, there's a version of this tub that's a jacuzzi, but I didn't get that option because it was way too much money and I didn't want to have to deal with it breaking at some point, which they it would probably do. So it's just a big soaker tub, but I can lay down, I can completely stretch out and float in it. And I know it's a very indulgent thing to have in the house, but I am so happy that I have it because for years... You know, there would be a hotel that you would go to that would have a big tub or a jacuzzi tub in the in the room and you could lay in that. And, and I would do that and I'd really enjoy it. And I always wanted something like that. So when I finally got to put in a bathroom from scratch, I said, we're getting a big tub. And it, it's been, it's kind of been a lifesaver because it, you know, if, if I can't afford a massage or, you know, it's COVID and yeah, I don't want anybody touching me. <laughs> <laughs> then I can I can kind of sort of fake it in in the tub and just lay there and kind of let everything relax. Yeah, um, I mean having that kind of self care thing at home, yeah. I think, is a beautiful thing. I just came from a house with a hot tub, so that's that <laughs> yeah. is an amazing. 
I don't have, have a hot tub, but I, I someday maybe I'll get a hot tub, but I don't know. I always they, the prices on those things always like I could like I have better things I could spend six thousand dollars on. So all right, all right. I would love so, to have an outdoor shower. That would be an amazing hmm. indulgence for me. So maybe one day when I like create my ultimate naturist resort in my yard, <laughs> you know, which is which is another thing I do to relax. But that's whenever, anytime. It doesn't have to involve work or nowhere. <laughs> 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 but yeah, thanks for the question, Frank. Yeah, thank you. So I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, and on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z, and on Discord as Vox Woman with a V. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Robin Renee. You can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And on Discord, you can find me as Andrew Genus. And, you know, as remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So send us your questions. We might answer them on an upcoming show. And here is where our fascinating tagline goes. So uh, <laughs> until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>